Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday on the Three Martini Lunch. We'd like to say happy Friday, but if you're paying attention to what's happening in Minnesota, not a lot to smile about right now. Hopefully things will get better as the National Guard moves in. Last night, very, very difficult, but your stool awaits. We still have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of important things to talk about today, and so let's do that. Uh, We have four bad martinis on the Three Martini Lunch. That's just how rough of an evening it was, Jim, and we're really not even getting to the fact that seven people were shot in Louisville last night due to uh, another massive protest over a police-involved killing back in March with uh, Breonna Taylor. So this is going to focus mainly on Minnesota, but let's get to it. I mean, uh, last night, uh, if you watched even from fairly normal waking hours, you know, 10 o'clock East Coast time, uh, up to midnight, certainly, uh, you saw things devolving in real time there in Minnesota. Uh, The fires were started in a number of locations pretty early on. There was even still some glimmers of daylight going on. For a while there, the police were tossing flashbang grenades off the third precinct. Uh, Ultimately, they decided that it wasn't worth staying there. So they pulled back and really pulled back from the entire neighborhood. So the precinct burned, a number of different businesses burned. Uh, A former church friend of ours who now lives in Minnesota, Facebook posted this out from a local neighborhood association. It's called the Midtown Phillips Neighborhood Association. Our neighborhood was destroyed last night by folks not from Phillips and maybe not even the South Side. We have lost hundreds of jobs in this economic hard time. Businesses were struggling to survive. And now this extra burden was added. No place to get groceries, no place to get prescriptions, no place to get supplies or clothes or greeting cards or sanitizer or cleaning supplies many with no car. And let's not forget we're in a pandemic with all these strangers invading our neighborhood. And then the last line, Jim, which is pretty hard to deny, quote, we were abandoned by city leadership and left to burn. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much obviously what happened last night as the night went on, it got worse and worse. But even with fires blazing behind him, uh, Ali Velshi of MSNBC had the gall to say this. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. But fires have been started. So Jim, I guess he's going to get the media's Chip Diller Award. But uh, I don't know how else you see last night as uh, anything other than a disgrace and doing nothing to help get justice for George Floyd. Yeah, it feels like we are trapped in this domino falling sequence in which every reaction to each preceding bad thing makes the situation worse. Um, you know, the, the original police killing does not feel justifiable by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, this was not a person who was wanted on violent crimes. He was completely under control. Uh, there were four police officers. He was on the ground. This was not a high-speed chase. This was not a uh, you know split-second decision that a cop had to make in a uh, a tense situation. You know, there, none of the traditional explanations fit in this case. And we, you know, this is obviously you, you, it's very understandable. People would be outraged about this. People would be furious about this. Rioting is clearly not the answer. And then, uh, God, it feels like a lifetime ago, Ali Velshi and I had a you know, not-so-friendly exchange on CNN at the time. He was at CNN at the time, and he you know, just flipped out on me on air. Um, and I've never thought terribly well of him since that. This, he, at that moment, he turned into the this-is-fine dog from the meme that spreads around quite a bit. 
um, basically insist, or you know, put in your. You mentioned Chip Diller, uh, the you know image of Frank Drebin as the you know, explosions of the fireworks factory behind him, <laughs> insisting there's nothing to see here. I mean, he lived down to every stereotype of the media trying to tell you something when what is going on directly behind him completely contradicts what he is saying. Um, and I think. Now look, you know he's he's in a bad situation in that in the streets in that moment. Things are burning around. It is a tense situation. We know that there's violence going on. So I'm going to you know uh, show Ali Belchia a molecule or two of sympathy and to say, look, I understand you're in very tough situations like there. Having said that, anybody who walks around believing that the media uh, lies, that the media is not honest, that the media tries to make excuses for inexcusable behavior by looters and rioters and things like that, it's just gonna to point to that as exhibit A to say, look, even when it's happening right in front of us on camera, they're gonna insist that it's not really happening. And I think there's a certain, there's legitimacy to that criticism. Jim, you used the word rioters. I saw yesterday that NBC has decided that uh, they're not gonna use that term. So whatever you wanna describe what we've seen over the past couple of days, uh, apparently it's not rioting the eyes of NBC and maybe he's trying to back up that policy. Uh, I'm sure he's trying to say that not everybody is setting things on fire and I'm sure that's true, but uh, I don't know that there were a ton of people out there trying to stop them from doing that. It seemed like more people were there for fascination and just to see what would happen uh, rather than do any sort of organized protesting on principle or, or anything else. Last night was uh, just kind of a free for all and uh, it was just ugly in every single way. And it reminded me a lot of Baltimore when uh, the mayor there at the time, Stephanie Rawlings Blake, basically told police, give them room to destroy or something to that effect. And that's pretty much what happened in that neighborhood last night. It did. And there's a, you know, going to be quite a bit of blame to go around. As I said, it seems like each decision makes the situation worse. And you, you know, the, we'll talk a bit about other bad police decisions, but you start looking and wondering, did the elected officials in charge of public security of those residents in those communities uh, metaphorically abandon their posts? Uh, you know, in, in, maybe you could argue literally abandon their posts when they decided not to defend the police station. Um, were they afraid of saying, no, you can't set that fire here. You can't take that from this business. You can't destroy that, you know, that in some ways that they flinch in the face of, of bullies and that, you know, uh, you know, they should not be the least bit surprised that when they do that, a bad situation gets much worse very quickly. As day turned to evening in Minnesota yesterday, I think a lot of us had a premonition that it was going to be bad, not only because of what we had seen the previous night or maybe even two nights, but because of what we saw yesterday afternoon, where Hennepin County Prosecutor Mike Freeman uh, was asked, you know, why aren't there any charges yet against these officers? We all saw the video. Now there's more video showing that there are actually, I think, two or three uh, police officers kneeling on George Floyd, only one of them on his neck, which is obviously the most significant one. But uh, here was his answer as to why no charges yet. I will say this, that that video is graphic and horrific and terrible, and no person should do that. But my job in the end is to prove that he violated a criminal statute. And there is other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. We need to wade through all of that evidence and to come through with immediately meaningful determination and we are doing that to the best of our ability so jim to see that video and then to to see freeman say well you know we got some evidence that looks really bad and other stuff maybe not a crime here uh not hard to see why folks would 
react poorly to that, doesn't excuse anything, but uh, it doesn't uh, tamp down the frustration when uh, the prosecutor can look at that and, and suggest that maybe there's no charges coming here. Yeah, I, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this, on the first glance, this seems idiotic. On the other hand, I believe the officer who shot Philando Castile was acquitted of manslaughter and other uh, associated charges. So I suppose you could make the argument, we're taking this very seriously. We want to have all of our I's dotted, all of our T's crossed. We know that this is going to be one of the most scrutinized prosecutions that this office ever brings if we choose to go ahead with this and we can't afford to make a mistake. You, you could maybe buy yourself a little time with an explanation like that. But for the person whose job is to hold the police accountable, looking at that video and saying, yeah, I'm not sure there's a crime there. Um, again, this does not justify rioting. This does not justify doing any damage to anybody else's property. This does not justify violence. But it is very easy to understand why so many Minnesotans of all colors would be outraged by the mentality that is at work in their law enforcement and prosecutorial communities. Absolutely right. And Mitch McConnell, who was obviously watching what's going on in his hometown of Louisville uh, with the seven people shot there in reaction to the Breonna Taylor case, is saying, look, I understand the anger. It doesn't excuse what's going on here, but there is justified anger here, and that has to be dealt with in a way where justice is provided. So I think that was a pretty good message in the moment there. And so, Jim, I, I think some folks, if this case is looked at very carefully, might not be happy with what charges ultimately come forward. If there are charges, uh, I could see maybe a manslaughter, even involuntary manslaughter could be coming forward here, even though people were screaming at the officer, you know, he can't breathe and everything. So if it's not a murder charge uh, on some level, you're probably going to get a lot of protests to that. But the idea that there's no charge here seems completely implausible. I yeah, I mean, the, the George Zimmerman uh, case down in Florida, one of the interesting arguments was that by going after the most serious um, criminal charge that the prosecutors could make, uh, you know, Zimmerman was found not guilty by the jury. And did you, you know, did the prosecutor make the job harder for themselves? Uh, could you have charged him with a lesser charge? And not only is the possibility of a plea deal, you know, at some point, then eventually start to arise in that situation. Um, you know, there's a lesser standard of, 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 uh, of evidence. You, you, it's not as difficult to get a jury to send somebody to jail if you, they feel like they're not being overcharged and that this isn't some sort of symbolic prosecution. So in, you know, in a legal sense, there may be a justification for that. And if you're rioting because somebody gets charged with, say, aggravated manslaughter instead of murder, <laughs> well, first of all, if you're rioting, don't do it. But secondly, like you probably know, wait, think, maybe there's, maybe there's a point Maybe the prosecutors want to make sure this guy goes to jail and they've decided this is the best opportunity uh, or the best path forward to pursue that goal. Um, but, uh, you know, if, from, from just the general tone of this prosecutor, um, it, is, it is not hard to see why people are losing faith in this institution very quickly. We also got another little nugget yesterday on this similar thread, Jim, because while Mike Freeman is the current Hennepin County prosecutor, the former Hennepin County prosecutor is a woman named Amy Klobuchar, who is a Minnesota senator now and has uh, officially gone into the deep vetting to be the running mate for Joe Biden. Turns out uh, we learned yesterday that there were previous complaints against the officer who had the knee on the neck of George Floyd. Uh, based on the reports, I've seen anywhere from a dozen to about 18 over this guy's 19-year career. And obviously, the complaints 
aren't identical to this. Uh, a lot of different uh, incidents going on. But ultimately, he uh, never faced prosecution. And I don't believe, other than maybe one slap on the wrist, was ever reprimanded for his conduct. Uh, Amy Klobuchar apparently uh, refusing or declining to prosecute on a couple of occasions when I guess she could have. And a lot of people are assuming now that this means uh, her chances of being the running mate are done. Is that how you see it? Well, on the one hand, if you feel like Amy Klobuchar is the, you know, is the best choice, the best choice to be president, if God forbid something happens to Joe Biden, best person to be vice president and a key member of that administration, best person who can help you win, then I think you make the choice and you, you, know, you just weathered the storm of this particular decision. I was ready to clobber, no pun intended, uh, Amy Klobuchar over this. And I'm sure somewhere Kirby Puckett is saying, yeah, go after her. Um, but, uh, it's, okay, seriously, so the, the spin from the Klobuchar staff was that she was not the prosecutor when this case was presented to the grand jury in 2007. That's, that's technically, that's correct enough. Now, if you want to look at it, October 27, 2006 was the date of this shooting for uh, Officer Chauvin, uh, the death of Wayne Reyes at the Latino Man. By the way, this is like, um, I believe he was, it was, I believe it was a car theft or something. So in other words, this was not necessarily a officer pulls out his gun and shoots a guy for no reason, uh, sort of circumstance. Now, I, um, on the official records, it says Klobuchar was county attorney until January 3rd. That's when she resigned her office to become in the U.S. Senate. Subsequently, I've seen people saying, well, actually, December 30th was her last day in the office. Obviously, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, you're probably not going to be in the office. Um, so it may well have turned out very conveniently for Amy Klobuchar that uh, she was out of the office, out of, you know, before the window of how, what the prosecutorial decisions of what are we going to do about this police shooting uh, was fully resolved. I think it, you could probably fairly argue, and I suspect people who don't want to see Amy Klobuchar be Biden's running mate are going to say, oh, if she thought there was anything wrong with this shooting on October 27th, yes, of course, she's running for Senate at that point. I think she was pretty, a pretty heavily favored election day 2006. Yes. She could have gotten the ball rolling on an investigation of this. And more broadly, there were criticisms that Amy Klobuchar was not really interested in prosecuting police officers for misconduct during her time as uh, Hennepin County uh, prosecutor. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think this will be a major factor, but I think anybody who doesn't want Amy Klobuchar is going to try to blur that line and say, oh, she could have gone after this guy if she wanted to and chose not to. We're also learning that uh, George Floyd, uh, the cops were called in because he was trying to allegedly pass a bogus 20. Um, when you're not resisting arrest, I'm not sure taking a guy down to the, to the ground is required for passing a bogus 20, but not a police officer, but, uh, Garner was selling illegal cigarettes or was selling cigarettes without a license. So it's, uh, you know, opening up a pack and selling them one by one. I think I'd like to believe black and white, left and right, all across the political spectrum, all across, you know, most Americans would say no one should die for that. No one should die for using a counterfeit 20. These are not capital crimes. Uh, I am kind of struck by the fact that some people who kind of feel like, ah, you know, this, this was, you know, the idea that anybody, that, that police brutality can be justified because of the existence of violent criminals, because not every criminal is violent. All right. Well, let's move on to our third bad martini now, Jim. And as all of this was devolving in Minneapolis last night at 12.53 a.m., President Trump decides to tweet two different things. Uh, well, same message. It spans two tweets. I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis. A total lack of leadership. Either the very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, get his act together and bring this city under control, or I will send in the National Guard and get the job done right. 
Then his second tweet, which follows the same message, these thugs, all caps, are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control, but when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. And uh, Mayor Fry uh, obviously wasn't very happy with that. He fired back and said, President Trump doesn't know the strength of Minneapolis. The thing getting more attention is that that second half of the tweet got flagged by Twitter again, saying this tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. However, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. And then a link to learn more. Well, this, of course, happens on the same day that President Trump issues an executive order looking to remove immunity protections for Twitter and other social media who he deems act less like a platform and more like a publisher showing bias and so forth. And so they're violating Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And so, Jim, this has uh, led to uh, a major debate on left and right. Uh, it seems like folks are kind of switching sides depending on which president is exploring this idea. But uh, the president thinks that this is the proper response to his tweets and, and others that he likes getting flagged or blocked by Twitter. Uh, and then now, of course, this debate is injecting itself into a very sensitive situation in Minneapolis. Uh, so combustible, to say the least, on multiple fronts. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, once again, we have a situation where every response makes the situation worse. Uh, Twitter clearly decided to jump into the uh, idea of policing Trump's tweets because of his tweets about Joe Scarborough. They're doing it in a pretty clumsy and ham-handed way. Somebody pointed out that the Twitter fact check uh, that they did about the original, you know, uh, allegations of voter fraud through, through you know, mail ballots had an error in it. Uh, so the fact checkers were actually wrong in this particular case, not necessarily about, you know, in, in what Trump was saying, but they said certain states were using, they conflated basically sending a ballot to everyone, which some states do. Uh, some states are entirely vote by mail and other states which allow uh, vote by mail for absentee voting, which is actually pretty common in most states. Trump has decided he's going to go to war with Twitter and he's decided we're going to enforce this Section 230 uh, and to basically make the argument that uh, Twitter is now, theoretically, they could be liable for what is posted on their platform. The idea being like, you know, oh, they're like, they're like the New York Times. They are deciding what is published. They are responsible and thus they should be held accountable. And the whole argument for Twitter for all these years was like, no, 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 we are not the ones who are putting what's up there. We can't be held responsible for that we are effectively running the bathroom stall wall that people choose to write what they, you know, what they choose to, and that they are the ones who can only be held legally responsible for what gets posted on that. It's very odd to see folks like Ted Cruz jumping on board. My colleague, Charlie Cook, basically, uh, you know, two guys who you don't often see in, in vehement disagreement uh, on this. Uh, I, between, as, as I see this, this is basically trying to argue, completely change the rules that have been in effect for, uh, platforms like Twitter and also other Facebook and basically every other publication as well um, that I don't think really works here. But, you know, the president is angry at Twitter, so he's going to lash out in this. Twitter has now responded on this. Glorifying violence. Greg, wouldn't that apply to any argument that just that suggests the rioting is justified? I suppose so. Once we get into glorifying violence, I mean, don't, don't action movies glorify violence? Is it, you know, the NFL's greatest hard hits justify violence? You know, there are a lot of things that go on on Twitter that could be characterized as just, you know, glorifying violence. Now, should the president have said when the, you know, when the, uh, when, when the looting starts, the shooting starts? Hell no. And it strikes me. I know people say, oh, it's a saying back in the 60s. Okay. We don't want cops shooting more people. Uh, that's not how this situation calms down. That's not how this situation gets better. 
Do people have a right to defend themselves? Absolutely. Do people have a right to defend uh, their property? Sure. Do we, but do we want, if the police or anybody else is going to use deadly force, then there had better be a lie at stake, right? If you see an arsonist who's trying to set fire to a daycare center, heck yes. You want you know, you got to use deadly force and you got to use deadly force. Somebody burning an empty building, I'm not so sure you're justified in just shooting that. Now, if it's an empty building that has a lot of, you know, turpentine, and it's right next to a daycare center, well, it depends on the circumstances. But there's this really creepy, weird glee at the thought of greater violence against the rioters. There's nothing wrong with being angry at rioters, being, you know, furious with them, in fact. You know, you, you know they, of course they need to be deterred. Of course they need to be stopped. Of course they need to be arrested and prosecuted. But you don't do this by opening fire. And the idea that anybody thinks that more, you know, more gunfire in Minneapolis is going to solve the problem. I think they are. They're sadly mistaken. And I think this is, you know, it, there's just a certain mentality at work here that is almost an enthusiasm for pouring gasoline on the flames. Absolutely right. And it's interesting to watch people have different positions on this issue, depending on the different circumstances. I remember either someone in the Obama administration or maybe Obama himself suggested that 230, uh, Section 230 wasn't a good thing when uh, folks were obviously tweeting things very negatively about him and, the, and, and conservatives were obviously upset about the, the free speech implications. Now President Trump is doing this and you've got Democrats saying, well, this is infringement on free speech when somebody dug up a video of Joe Biden in this campaign arguing for the repeal of Section 230 before this actually happened. So uh, strange bedfellows. And you mentioned uh, NFL's biggest hits. Remember, uh, I think it was Monday Night Countdown used to have a section called Jacked Up until, yes. <laughs> until uh, the concussions became a big issue. And then all of a sudden that uh, mysteriously went away and uh, concussion discussion became a huge part of their NFL coverage. It's, uh, it's amazing how quickly people can change sides. Yeah. I mean, look, at the, at the heart of it, both Twitter and, and uh, the president are defending a very important principle. And that very important principle is that what they say should always be protected by the First Amendment or speech that they like should always be protected by the First Amendment. But speech that they don't like should always be suppressed and stifled and, you know, done everything they can to make sure no one ever gets a chance to see it. Ah, consistency. We love consistency. All right. Well, it was a, a banner night for uh, law enforcement in Minneapolis as they just kind of seeded the neighborhood to the, the looters and the, the arsonists and so forth. But uh, the police did show up, the state police, early this morning, while CNN was still reporting and the neighborhood had pretty much cleared out. Omar Jimenez is the CNN correspondent, and uh, he was uh, standing there in the neighborhood as the state police made its way down the street trying to make sure that the last of the protesters had been cleared out. Uh, this whole exchange took over six minutes as the state police arrested him, his producer, and his cameraman. I assume the whole four-man crew that's mentioned there. While they were live on air, we got, can't play the whole thing, obviously, but here's a, a montage of uh, some of the more critical moments. We can move back to where you'd like here. We are live on the air at the moment. This is the four of us. We are one team. Put us, put us back where you want us. We are getting out of your way, so just let us know. Wherever you'd want us, we will, we will go. We are just getting out of your way when you're advancing through the intersection. So just let us know, and we, and we got you. I'm sorry? You're under arrest. Okay. Do you mind oh, whoa, telling whoa, whoa, whoa. me why I'm under arrest, sir? Why, why am I under arrest, sir? Okay. You are arresting him live on CNN. We, we told you before that we are with CNN. 
so Jim, uh, they stayed in custody for a little while, then they were released. Uh, once they found out that uh, these people were actually of the media, although you could hear right there, we're with CNN, we're on the air, we're journalists, we're, all four of us are with this team. And the Minnesota State Patrol uh, says this in their tweet, which you put out also, in the course of clearing the streets and restoring order at Lake Street and Snelling Avenue, four people were arrested by state patrol troopers, including three members of a CNN crew. The three were released once they were confirmed to be members of the media. Governor Tim Walls later apologized. Uh, Jim, I know there's a lot on edge, but uh, if you watch the conversation, it's pretty hard to understand how it wasn't really clear what was happening here. Yeah, because there's no uh, indication of what he's being arrested and detained for. Uh, they ask several times. Uh, this is not a case of the reporter. Look, this, this was not uh, Jim Acosta freaking out at a White House press conference. This was not, you know, anything that could be, you know, characterized as out of control or potentially dangerous or, or anything like that, or even combative with the officers. Um, and the claim, but, you know, I think what's, what, what, there are a couple of things that are frustrating. We talked about the prosecutor earlier. And uh, by the way, I'm being told as we are taping, Greg, that apparently the uh, officer has been taken into custody, which would be a pretty significant development there. But in this case, here we have, they're like, they're broadcasting live. Like the whole country is watching. Um, and the argument, I guess, in this subsequent statement from the Minnesota, uh, Minnesota State Police is that there was no possible way for them to verify on scene that the camera crew and correspondent who were broadcasting live on CNN were an actual CNN camera crew and correspondent. So I guess the idea is that they think that some sort of uh, looters or rioters just decided to disguise themselves as a CNN camera crew. They happened to get professional grade television cameras and remote relay equipment and faked a press pass and all these other things that, you know, it's a really elaborate disguise. And secretly they're running around doing something terrible and all that stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking like, but the other thing is there's a considerable amount of police in riot gear all standing around. There's no indication that any one of those cops thinks this is a bad idea. There's no indication, you know, that the, the reporter is asking, am I being arrested? What am I being arrested for? And there's no answer from any of the cops whatsoever. So either the cops basically believe that they've caught three members of Ocean's Eleven in an elaborate disguise because they're going to rob the state loot fisk depository or something like that, or they're just used to doing whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want in any circumstances and not having any serious consequences, even when they're literally being broadcast live on national television with the whole country watching. It is really unnerving to believe that police could be that dense, that unaware of what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, just generally, it's like there's, it, I'm, at this point, there's still no explanation as to why they were arrested. And the only, you know, the, the only one that really makes that much sense is these guys were annoyed by the fact that there was a CNN camera crew there. And just decided to detain them because they felt like they could. And, you know, much to their chagrin, they're going to find out that everything they were doing was being broadcast live at that time. Well, just to follow up on what you reported there, Jim, uh, that Derek Chauvin, the officer with the, the knee on the neck of George Floyd, has been arrested in the case of George Floyd. And then your colleague, Dan McLaughlin, uh, tweets this out. So to summarize, we have the cops fired and denounced by every level of government and investigated by the FBI within a day, arrest by the end of the week. This is, by the standards of American justice, an astoundingly rapid response. But hey, maybe there are still TVs left at Target. So uh, there's that angle as, as we go into the weekend here. And hopefully this news will make things a whole lot calmer. By no matter how bad things get, Greg, there's always somebody out there who's convinced they can get a new flat screen TV out of it all. 
and some of them did. But uh, Jim, uh, if we've ever needed a break, uh, today's the day. Uh, hopefully the uh, SpaceX flight gives us some uh, good news tomorrow and uh, we will reconvene on Monday. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. And uh, don't forget, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And join us Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.